Vox Quick Hits. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey, my name's Alana Oaken. I'm a deputy editor at The Goods by Vox. And this is The Best Money I Ever Spent. It's a series of personal essays about the purchases we make, both big and small, that make an impact on our lives. Today, we have an essay from Steve Russo about the skateboard he bought at the very beginning of the pandemic. Here's Steve. It took me 15 minutes to decide that what I needed to do during the pandemic was learn how to skateboard. It wasn't an impulse decision. I'd been thinking about getting into skating for a few years now, but I could never justify the risk it posed to my main hobby, amateur bike racing. How stupid would I feel if I broke a risk just trying to push down the street, completely ignoring the hundreds of hours I spent training on the bike? But when the pandemic wiped out any chance of racing in the foreseeable future, it seemed like a good a time as any to finally jump into something I'd been admiring from afar. And after months and months of watching skateboard videos and developing this theoretical understanding of why I enjoyed one skater over another, I wanted to know how it felt. Basically, it looked fun, and I wanted to do it. It was also nice that it was the total opposite of cycling. I wouldn't need to get a bunch of fancy, expensive equipment. All I would need to skateboard was to simply buy a skateboard. I quickly pulled together some recommendations from friends, like, what size board do I get? How big should my wheels be? Then, on a Thursday afternoon in early April, I bought a skateboard off the internet for $141.60. It was the easiest decision I've ever made, despite the fact that I am a uh, 32-year-old man with no health insurance. There's a lot of shame in skateboarding as an adult. Nothing reminds you of your own mortality like being bad at something you used to be good at while also being judged by teenagers. I recently read this article by Dan Ozzie in Mel Magazine. He was writing about men, like me, who were trying to get back into skateboarding during the pandemic. And he said, quote, I wouldn't dare become one of those old guys I hated as a kid, the kind of grown man who thinks he's impressing teens by telling them that he used to skate back in the day and asked to use their board so he can show them the world's shittiest kickflip. Trend stories like these tell us that picking up skating in your 30s and beyond signals some sort of desperation. You've got to be going through something if you think that awkwardly rolling around on your useless wooden toy and risking a hospital visit is a good idea. I considered all of this, and then decided not to worry about it. What good would it do to compare myself to people who have been skating for decades, or teenagers who have nothing to do but throw themselves off a set of stairs? Oh, that could have been so bad, dude. Gosh! I was special in my own incompetence, and therefore beyond comparison. All I had to do then was go skate. The simplicity of it all was a revelation. 
I had spent the past decade devoting an incredible amount of time, money, and energy into being a perfectly mediocre amateur bike racer. I spent dozens of hours a week riding my bike, driving hundreds of miles every weekend for races, and planning my vacations as they were training camps. And up until a few months before, this is exactly how I wanted to spend my free time. I love the feeling of slowly and gradually building my fitness and skills, to know that as long as I keep training and racing, I'll eventually be lining up with the pros. But because bike racing is, well, racing, every time I get on the bike, it isn't really for me. It's to beat the person next to me. Bike racing forces us to find worth in relation to others. In the same week that I set a new all-time 20-minute power record on the bike, which is a sort of benchmark for cycling fitness, I also landed my first 180 on the skateboard. Setting a record felt unceremonious. It was a predictable result of years of hard work. But landing that 180 felt sublime, like I'd unlocked this new and unknown ability. Every day I would get on my skateboard and head over to a nearby schoolyard. And over the course of an hour, I'd have these little moments of, holy moly, I can't believe I just did that. I wasn't just teaching myself how to skate. I was teaching myself how to not be good at something. There's a pressure, I think, to be good at everything we do. That everything in our lives must somehow perfectly match our talents and passions. And if we can just find those, then everything will be fine. But when we're bad at a specific thing, even if it's just a silly little hobby, we turn it into an indictment of ourselves. We don't feel bad because we're bad at something. We feel bad because others are better than us. We tell ourselves that they're more productive and successful because they've found their thing. And the fact that you haven't means that you're in the wrong place. We dress it up with words like talent and passion, but it's only capitalism trying to maximize productivity. This sort of pressure has bled into our leisure time. It's not enough to clock in and earn a paycheck. Now we need side hustles and passion projects. When we think about getting into a hobby, we're inundated with guides about the best ways to get started or cautionary tales against making beginner mistakes. When it comes to learning something, there's a push to fast forward through the awkward bits or better yet, skip them entirely. But how can you possibly make any money off of your passions if you aren't good at them? Skateboarding, because it is so indescribably difficult, diffuses this pressure to be good. Among skateboarders, it's commonly known, accepted, and celebrated that the pros have to bail all the time. You might not be able to do a backside 360 over a wall and into a 10-foot drop onto the street, but you can watch Mason Silva struggle for hours to land it. It goes both ways. Recently, I was struggling to land a frontside board slide on a shin-high bench at a nearby skate park. It's this trick where you slide on a rail or a ledge with your board, hence board slide. For over an hour, I would try and try and try this basic trick on this simple feature. 
Meanwhile, much better skaters easily tackled the much gnarlier stuff around me. Sometimes I'd barely get onto the bench. Sometimes the board would get hung up on the bench and refuse to slide. Sometimes I'd get onto the bench, but the board would slide out from under me. But then I managed to almost land one. My rear truck barely got off the ground. I slid on the bench for a fraction of a second and I landed with half my foot dragging on the ground. Immediately, a skater who was nearby and, up until then, hadn't even acknowledged my existence, shouted, Dude! You've got the next one for sure! He knew, and he understood. Skateboarding has taught me that I can acknowledge that I'm bad, but still celebrate when I manage to do something good. I know that my skating is, objectively, not very impressive. Still, I can't help but feel jacked up after I ollie over a traffic cone. Since the pandemic and economic recession have absolutely destroyed any lofty career goals I might have had, skateboarding has been a revelation. In the before times, I might have blamed my misfortune on a lack of effort or talent. But now that things are truly in the shitter for very obvious reasons outside of my control, I can finally accept my station in life. My entire professional career has been marked by trying to replicate the success of my peers and set these arbitrary benchmarks based on the accomplishments of others. But trying to learn how to skate in my 30s has made me question that. Why should I feel like I need to match the output and ambition of others? After being thrown so violently off the career's treadmill, I feel like the best and maybe only thing I can do right now is to just see where my path takes me. I know that that sounds a little new agey, but merely existing is so difficult right now. I owe it to myself to celebrate all the small successes, even if they don't exactly line up with the path that I imagined my life would ideally take. I can't just go out there and will myself into doing a kickflip. And I can't just go out there and will myself into a respected, stable job. So, I've arrived at this quiet acceptance that all I can really do is just keep plugging away. Eventually, I'll surprise myself and land something. If you want more from The Best Money I Ever Spent, you can read all of the essays on Vox.com, and you can subscribe to Vox Quick Hits wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got the time, please leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. The Best Money I Ever Spent was created and is edited by me, Alana Oaken. Today's episode was produced by Taylor Macon. Paul Mouncey is our engineer. Special thanks goes to Julia Rubin, the editorial director of The Goods, to Liz Kelly Nelson, the director of podcasts at Vox, and to you for listening. We'll see you next time.